Isn't God good? Our sermon tonight is we're going to continue on into the series that we had started called Expect Miracles. And tonight I want to um, look at particularly the authority to live in the miraculous and to lay hold and, and, and understand that we are living in a time where the miraculous is a necessity. Right? The miraculous is just as much part of the gospel as the gospel. And, and we can't separate the two, and that he has given us the authority to walk in these things. Before I go into the teaching, I want you to hear a testimony from our friend Leandra over here. And um, in a moment, I'll have her come. And uh, uh, back in 2020, Paul had called me and he said, uh, Hey, you know, I've got this friend over here near our workplace. Um, he was diagnosed with cancer, and I asked him if we could come pray for him. Would you come with me and and go pray for him? And so I'm like, yeah, sure. And so we go over there and we pray for him. And Leandra, uh, Leandra, if you would come, um, she, am I saying your name right? She is bookkeeper secretary. What uh, you... Yeah, I'm the office manager. Okay, office manager there with Westy was the man that we prayed for. And so what I wanted you to hear was from her perspective, what happened and what took place. Because we're talking about miracles, and so you're going to hear a testimony of a miracle. Hi. Um, okay, so I didn't exactly know what to expect when I was asked to do this, so I kind of have like a whole thing prepared because I didn't really know what I was doing here. So... Um, when you think about miracles, you think of, you know, when Jesus was still here and he was performing those miracles, you know, like when he was at the pool and he told him, he told the paralyzed man to get up and walk. And he had to have that faith to get up and do that and take his mat and walk. Um, so my boss was diagnosed with cancer in April of 2020. Uh, he had, can I put my book up here? He had um, what they called a thymoma. It's not a thymoma. It's a, where your thymus gland has cancer. Um, and your thymus gland is just a gland um, that helps you go through puberty. So you actually don't really need it once you're through puberty. Um, so he had gotten pneumonia from COVID, and they had to do a chest X-ray, and they realized that he had a tumor the size of his entire chest. Um, it was in his right lung, it was wrapped around his aorta, and it was also in the sack of his heart. Um, now, so how, it, how old was he at this point? Um, he was 48. Okay. Um, now, up until this point, you know, he had never had any type of health issues, so he was, it was very, um, dawning on him, you know, so... They had talked to him about um, what they were going to do and his percentages um, as far as living, um, and it didn't look good for him. Um, there's only about 2% of people in the world that, um, once a cancer has grown that far out of control um, from that particular cancer, um, live. Um, so... Um, I actually have the date here. It was uh, 10-29 of um, 2020. And, I mean, how much good really came out of 2020? <laughs> um, so he 
Paul came in and he brought his pastor and um, I'm standing behind the counter and I have no idea what's going on. I'm just drinking my coffee, just trying to get through the morning. And um, my boss is standing there and uh, they asked him if they could anoint his head with oil and he could, they could pray for him. Um, so they did that. They prayed over him and, um, you know, my boss just went about his life. And then on, he went in for surgery on, um, it was December 23rd. 2020. And when they opened his chest, they realized that the tumor itself had just grown out of control from the cancer in his thymus. So the cancer was actually completely encapsulated in his thymus, and the, the tumor itself was just that, a tumor, it was just tumor tissue. So they were able to take it all out. He needed no chemo. He needed no radiation. He was completely fine. Actually, I think he's bionic because he was back at work the next Monday after they cracked his chest open. Good. Imagine that because I, I feel bad calling out because I'm sick. He's like, listen, my, just, try, just crack my chest open, you know? Um, so uh, it makes me think of um, James 5, uh, 5, 14 and 15. Um, Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them. Anoint them with oil. In the name of the Lord, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Miracles still happen every day as long as you believe in that and you pray with all that faith. You know what I mean? You have to have the faith to pray those prayers and believe that the miracles will still happen. So that is my personal testimony to that effect. So I'll give it back to you. Okay, I'll ask you a question. So... At that time, when Paul and I came in, were you, would you say you were actively following the Lord at that point? No, I was not. Okay, so what were your thoughts when you saw these two guys come in and pray over him? Um, well, I was trying to get through my morning, as I had said previous, but I mean, um, I, had, I had always, if you would have asked me back then, I would have told you I was a Christian, um, just because I didn't really realize what that really entailed at the time. Um, so I would have said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian, but I didn't, I didn't actively pray or, um, seek the Lord in anything or give anything to the Lord. I was just kind of just doing my own thing, you know, like pretty much everyone in my generation. So, so what role did seeing what happened and seeing him be healed and, and that miracle, uh, what part did that play in you turning and beginning to follow the Lord? Um, it played a huge part in um, in me actively pursuing the Lord. Um, if he could do that, I mean, what could he, what else could he do if we just all just believe in him? You know what I mean? If we as a group, because one Christian, actually it was two technically, so, so if two Christians can come in and pray and now the 2% has now become my boss included, what could a group of us do? What could I do? Yeah, amen. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing with us. I think it was Pastor Levere Sofer that said it this way to me. He said, the miracles of God are the dinner bell to a relationship with the Lord. And so often... We, we see in the life of Jesus that would happen, right? And, and even in the apostles where a miracle would happen and then what would follow is people would begin to uh, go after the Lord, seek the Lord, and we would see that. And so um, this would, is just another example of that. And I know that 
many of us have seen, you know, we've seen many miracles through the years. And I, but I think we could all agree that not nearly as often as what we would like to see them. Right? We, we've seen the miracles happen. We've seen the thing, the impossible happen. And, and from time to time, we see that, but it's not every time. And what we want to, what I want to do tonight is simply to stir you to begin to have a confident expectation of more and more of this happening. You know, we, we live in a time and in a season where this is, we need this more than ever, right? So, let me ask you a question. Everyone stand up. Well, I'm going to make it, make it hard for you. That way you wake up a little bit. If it's too difficult to stand up, that's alright. Just stand up on the inside and, and answer as though you're standing. So, where's your seat? Behind me. All right, you can sit down. Where where are you seated? In the heavenlies. That's right. I just made you stand up to mess with you to make you think about your chair, so you'd answer wrong. But you know the truth is, so often we we consider things in the natural, and we're not thinking of that we are first and foremost spiritual beings. And that we are seated in the heavens with Him. That we are seated with Christ. And that we're from a place of authority that we are now agents representing heaven here in the earth. And so we are not just right in a, in a natural sense sit, sitting in our chair. So let's go over to Ephesians and let's read that. And we're going to start by looking at the authority of where we're seated. In Ephesians chapter 1, and let's look at verse 20, talking about the mighty power of God. He says, he, talking about God, it says, he exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens. Now here's where that seatedness, all right, if I can say it that way, here's where he's sitting. It's in a place of far above every ruler and authority. So it's far above every power and dominion. It's far above every name named. Every title given. There's no name that can be given that He's not far above. It says not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So that's here and there. He is seated in a place of authority. It says, and He subjected everything under His feet and appointed Him as head over everything for the church, which is His body, the fullness of the One who fills all things in every way. So the church, you and I are part of the church, part of His physical body in the earth today. Right? He's the head, but we're everything from the neck down. Even if you feel like you're a heel of the body of Christ, you're still part of the body. You're still far above. Far above the devil and everything that's named. Alright, let's look now into chapter 2. Because the Bible wasn't written in chapter and verses. It was written as a letter. And so, this just continues to flow. He says, You were dead in trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the Spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath as others were also. But God, 
How many like the but gods? If your story isn't a but God story, you're doing it wrong. Okay? I'm not talking about just going out and living in a sinful way and now it's but God. I'm saying the Lord doesn't ask you to do the easy things, does He? He asks you to do the impossible. And it's like, well, how am I going to do How is that even How can I do that, Lord? But God, right? Because He enables it. So, but God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love that He had for us, made us alive with Christ. Well, that's good, isn't it? Made us alive with Him. Alive with Him. Alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. He seated us with Him. Where was He seated? Remember what all I read? Far above every ruler, every power, every name named, every authority, every dominion. That's where He's seated and we're sitting with Him. So where are you seated? You're seated in the heavens with Christ at the right hand of God. That's your seat. So that, now here's the reason, so that in the coming ages He might display the immeasurable riches of His grace through His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. It's going to take the ages for Him to be able to show all of that to us. You know, we're not going to sit in heaven and be bored. I remember as a little child thinking that I didn't want to go to heaven when I died. I wanted to be like a dog and just go to nothing. Because I thought it's going to be really boring to just forever be standing around singing hallelujah. You know, who wants to do that? I don't. That seems boring. I'd just rather be nothing. Well, thank God that light had came, came to my feeble brain, right? And uh, I'm looking forward to heaven. And, but it's going to be more than just singing hallelujah and standing around, right? We're not going to be bored. It's going to take, it's going to take the ages for Him to display the immeasurable riches of His grace to us. Alright, verse 8. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. Not from works so that no one can boast. You can't earn it, right? You can only receive it. Verse 10, for we are His workmanship. One, one translation says, we are His masterpiece. Alright? We are His creation. He made it that way. We are His workmanship created, where? In Christ Jesus. For why? For good works. Good works which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Now, what I want you to understand is these works are not just opening a door for someone. These works are miraculous works. They're the power of God works that He has created us ahead of time to do. In fact, let's go over to John chapter 14 and, and we'll see this. We'll look in John 14 and John chapter 10. What are these works that He's talking about? So from His place of authority, He says, we're seated with Him in this place of authority to do these works, these good works. Well, in, in John 14, the, uh, the, Jesus has just made a really bold statement to them. And He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I mean, that's a mouthful, right? And um, no one comes to the Father except through Me. So now in verse 8 in chapter 14, Lord, said Philip, show us the Father and that's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been among you all this time and you do not know me, Philip? 
The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does His works. See that? The works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. What are these works? They were the miracles that were happening and flowing in Jesus' life. Go over to... um, Actually, let me just keep reading here through verse 14. Truly I tell you, the one who believes in Me will also do the works that I do. How many believers in Him do we have here tonight? Right? So the one who believes in Me will do the works that I do, and He will do even greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in My name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask Me anything in My name, I will do it. So he says, believe because of the works that I've done. And oh, by the way, if you believe, you're going to do the works too. And even greater works. Greater works. Who wants to see greater works? Go over to chapter 10 in John. And let's look at a similar thing that he says. In verse 31. So Jesus is speaking. You know, John 10 is the famous one where he goes, he's talking about the sheep and the gate and the doors and that I've come to give life and the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. It's all of that. And now he works his way down. He's having this conversation, this back and forth with them. And they've finally had enough of it. And they pick up stones and they want to stone him. And in verse 31, it says they they pick up rocks to stone him. But Jesus replied, I have shown you many good works from the Father. Many miracles, right? For which of these works or which of these miracles are you stoning me? They said, we aren't stoning you for a good work, the Jews answered, but for blasphemy because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, isn't it written in your law? I said, you are God's. If He called those to whom the Word of God came God's, and the Scripture cannot be broken, do you say you are blaspheming to the One the Father set apart and sent into the world because I said I am the Son of God? See, it all comes down to when you're talking to people. In fact, this was one of the conversations that I had on the mountain. Was Someone asked me the question, is what do is it what's your take what's your understanding of being one with deity is like in christianity is that a thing do you become one with deity and it gave me the perfect opportunity to talk about yes the spirit of christ comes and dwells in us and we become one with him and what does that look like in the new birth and, and all of this in having the spirit of god within us And um, but I went on and explained in the conversation that you know it all comes down to is Jesus who he said he was? He made some pretty strong claims. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Right? So is he who he says he was? Because if he is who he claimed to be, the Son of God, then we really need to pay attention and listen and do what he says. But if he's not telling us the truth and it's not what not right, then we shouldn't waste our time with any of it. Let's go find someone else to follow, right? 
And so that's really the question that comes down for those that do not believe, is they need to be able to look at and answer that question. Is Jesus who He said He was? And so I went on in the conversation and I said, here's what I, what I would encourage you to do, is pray and ask the Lord to reveal to you, is Jesus who He said He is? Is He who He claimed to be? Who is He? And let the Lord reveal that to you. And you know, if you'll do that in, as you witness and as you share and talk with people and you encourage them to do that, ask the Lord, ask, pray and ask God, reveal to me, who is Jesus? Is He real? Did he, is what He said is true? And if they're willing to do that, oh, their goose is cooked. It's, a, it's only a matter of days and they're going to be in the kingdom. right? Because the Lord wants to reveal His Son to anyone who asks. Alright, going back here now. Um, so he claims to be, be the Son of God. In verse 37, if I'm not doing my Father's works, don't believe me. Think that through a little bit. Jesus is saying, if I'm not doing these works, then don't believe me. I mean, as human beings, none of us have the power to do these works on our own, right? We can't squeeze out a miracle no matter how badly we want one. It's only by the divine power of God enabling and working in and through us that a miracle happens. It's not us, right? In fact, Peter and John, remember when they walked by the gate beautiful and there's that guy standing there and he asks for money and they go, well, we don't have money because I gave it all to my wife. And so that wasn't in there. That part wasn't in there. I just ad-libbed that. But he says, but what we have, we'll give to you. And he lifts him up and says, rise and walk. And so the crippled man walks. And then this whole crowd gathers around and they're all amazed and they're like, what in the world? And Peter makes it very clear. He said, it's not by our own righteousness or because we're special. It is only by the name of Jesus that this man walks. And he took it right back to Jesus. And why is that important for you and I today? It's because miracles, it, it wasn't just Jesus and the disciples who could do miracles. If it would have been just the disciple thing, now Jesus is gone and it's just the twelve that can do a miracle, then Peter and John would have said, you know, because we're one of the twelve, we can do this. But don't try this at home because you'll still be crippled. But he didn't, right? He said it's nothing special from us. It's not from our righteousness that he walks. And so we see that um, Jesus had these miracles and Jesus made the statement, if I'm not doing my Father's works, don't believe me. Verse 38, but if I am doing them and you don't believe me, believe the works. See, these works, these miracles testify to the good news. This way you will know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Then they were trying to seize Him again, but He escaped their grasp. Let's go over to Mark chapter 16. Speaking of miracles. Now, we read about being seated with Him in authority. We've read about what these works are. These works were the miraculous works that, that Jesus did. And he, he expected that if they're not happening for Him, you shouldn't even believe Him. Well, here, look at this, what He says now to the disciples. So, if, you, if we would go to Matthew 28, you don't, don't turn there. I'm just going to refer to it. But in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, Jesus makes a statement to them right before He ascends. He says, all authority has been given to Me in heaven and earth. Two realms. Remember? It said that He's seated far above every name, every power, every authority. 
both in this age and the one to come. All right? So, same thing. He's telling the disciples, he says, look guys, all authority has been given to me both in heaven and on earth. And then he gives them their marching orders. Go make disciples and teach them to observe everything that I've commanded them and all of these things. Well, look in Mark 16. This is Mark's account of how this happened and how this went down. So he shows up and he tells them the same thing to go preach the Gospel to the whole world. All of these things. And then in verse 17, he says, "...and these signs..." Signs, you could call them miracles. But see, a miracle isn't a miracle testifies to something. It's a sign. It's a sign about somebody. About Jesus and about what the good news is. And so it says these signs will accompany. Accompany means to go with. They're going to go alongside you. They're going to accompany those who believe. Now, he's not talking about the disciples anymore. Or just the disciples. Those who believe. Who, who will believe? Well, there's thousands and thousands and millions of people from his day until now that have believed, right? And I certainly am going to put myself in the category of I believe. How about you? Do you believe? Right? So this is what he says about you then. He says, these signs will accompany you who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. That's authority. Remember, we're seated with him. Same place. Far above every power, every authority, every dominion. And one of the things that we're going to be known for is casting out devils. It says they will speak, these, those who believe. Some of the signs are going to be they will speak in new tongues. Now, a lot of people misunderstand tongues, and we have plenty of teachings on the website about tongues and the different uses and, and things, but I'll just make this mention. There's two kinds of tongues. There's a tongues to people that needs interpreted, and there's a tongues to the Lord that doesn't need interpreted. And sometimes people confuse the two and think, oh, you're supposed to interpret that. No, I wasn't talking to you. I was talking to the Lord. So mind your own business. So, he says they're going to cast out devils. They're going to speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes. And if they drink anything deadly, it will not harm them. Now, these two things I just want to point out are not like the snake handling things that you read in the news about people that try to test their faith and prove that they have their faith. Look, anytime the devil tries to get you to prove something, walk away. That's what he tried to get Jesus to do. Prove you're the Son of God. Jump off the temple. Psalms 91 says the angels will protect you. Quote Scripture to him even to get him to prove who he is. He didn't take the bait, did he? So don't, don't prove anything. These snakes that he's talking about here are demonic. They're devils. They're demons. They are not a literal snake. Now, do I believe that you would have protection from a literal snake if you needed it? Absolutely. Right? But that's, that's not what he's talking about. And the reason I can, I can be sure on that is in Luke chapter 10. I'll just read to you a couple verses and then I'm going to come right back here. This is where the 72 returned back to Jesus. He had commissioned them. He'd sent them out. And they were going out and preaching the Gospel and doing all these things. And now they return and it says the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in Your name. What's the subject? Demons submitting to, submitting to them in Jesus' name. So the subject is demons. This is Jesus' response. He said, I've watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. 
Who are we talking about? Satan. Look, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing at all will harm you. So do you see he's not talking about snakes and scorpions, but he's referring to devils and demons and all the power of Satan as snakes and scorpions. So when he makes this statement in Mark 16, he says they will pick up snakes. Let me put it to you in my words. They're going to be able to handle the demonic and it will not harm them. Go right into the snake's den if need be, right? And preach the Gospel and take a hold of those things that could harm you and is not going to harm you. I'm not talking about dabbling with sin. I'm talking about you're going to be able to... You know, people get all afraid of curses and witches. and Why? We live in an authority and a power that's above it. That can't touch me, right? So let's look here now on the next thing that he says. Um, because we're talking about these signs are going to follow them that believe. It says they will lay hands on the sick and they will get well. They will lay hands on the sick. They that believe will lay hands on the sick and the sick will get well. It doesn't say maybe. It doesn't say hopefully. It just puts a blanket statement. They will recover. Now, it doesn't say instantly. right? We want to see everything happen. Boom! In a moment. But sometimes it happens in ways just like what Leandra shared about Westy. You know, the cancer was encapsulated all inside um, whatever the language was she used. I'm no doctor, but it was encapsulated and able to be removed and was of no harm. He didn't even require radiation or chemo, right? And so sometimes it doesn't always look like we expect it to, you know, that they just go in and look and the thing's gone. But it's, it's put into its place. And Westy is living today because of it. Hallelujah. So verse 19, So the Lord Jesus, after speaking to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Right? His place of authority, same place we're seated with Him. And they went out and preached everywhere. What do you think they preached? Well, the good news, right? The good news. What is the good news? Well, when you look at what Jesus preached out of Isaiah, right? that's the good news. That He's come to set the captive free. He's come to give good news to the poor. That He's come to open the eyes of the blind. You know, all these things are good news. And He says, they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them. The Lord worked with them. Everyone say that. The Lord worked with them. And confirmed the word that they were preaching. Confirmed the word, how? By the accompanying signs. This is how the Lord confirms His word. Is when you tell someone the good news, and then you act on it. And you pray for them. You lay hands on them. And you expect God now to do His part. And the Lord confirms His word. Let's go over to 1 Kings. And... I want to read to you two chapters here from the life of Elijah. Elijah lived a pretty miraculous life. He he really, like, you know, so many times we read about the great prophets um, in the Bible and we read about these miracles and we think, well, man, they had it happening all the time. 
But we forget sometimes there's years between one miracle that's recorded and another one. It doesn't mean there wasn't any in between there. There may have been and they just weren't recorded. But because we can read it in five minutes, it's a whole, about a whole lifetime, right? It seems like, wow, they had so much happening. But sometimes there was space between it as well. Here's what I want you to see from Elijah. Elijah was a man just like you and I. That's what Scripture tells us. So, when he didn't shower, he stank. Alright? He was faced with fears. We have record of that. He ran away at one point. He had to deal with things just like you and I have to deal with. Now, something that Elijah did not have that you and I have is the Spirit of God living on the inside of him. Right? He was not seated with Him in the heavens yet. He was operating on behalf of God and he stood before God and the Spirit of God was on him. But he didn't have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of him like you and I have available to us today. So let's look here in verse 1 of chapter 17. Now Elijah... Actually, if you would on the screen put up Deuteronomy 11, verse 13. Deuteronomy 11.13. And in a moment, we'll look at that together on the screen. But let's stay here in 1 Kings. 1 Kings 17. So now Elijah the Tishbite from the Gilead Settlers said to Ahab. Now Ahab is the king. Ahab is, if you look over in chapter 21 of 1 Kings, it says that no, no one did actively do as much evil as him. There was no king. I mean, he was like the worst of the worst, right? And so Elijah walks in and says to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives, in whose presence I stand, there will be no dew or rain during these years except by my command. Comes in and says, it's not going to rain unless I say so. <laughs> now, I submit to you that there's no record that the Lord told him to go say that. But here's someone who understands the authority that he walks in and says, I'm going to do something about this. Now, I'm not saying the Lord didn't tell him. It just doesn't say that. It says he walked in and did something. Now, I don't believe this was something that he just came up on his own like, what would really mess with the king? Oh, you know what? If it wouldn't rain for everyone, that would really show him. I don't think that's what, where he was at. He was actually, where does faith come from? Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of God. So he had to have faith to be able to walk in and make this declaration. So what was the Word of God that he had that he could take and boldly make a declaration like this? If you look at Deuteronomy 11, if you can put it up on the screen, Deuteronomy 11 verse 13, and I'll read the next couple of verses. It says, If you carefully obey My commands I am giving you today to love the Lord your God and worship Him with all your heart and all your soul, I will provide rain for your land in the season, the early and late rains, and you will harvest your grain, new wine, and oil. I will provide grass in your fields for your livestock. You will eat and be satisfied. Be careful that you are not enticed to turn aside, worship and bow down to other gods. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you. He will close the sky and there will be no rain. The land will not yield its produce and you will perish quickly from the good land the Lord is giving you. This was all things that the Lord had said to the children of Israel. These were promises. 
right? And there, it's in multiple places in Deuteronomy, actually, that you find where this was pronounced to them. That if you worship other gods, I will turn the sky to brass and it will not rain. So Elijah shows up now and in boldness declares, it's not going to rain until I say so. Well, he's there representing God and he can simply hearken back to the promise of God back in Deuteronomy. So it's not something that he's just coming up with on his own. Now, let's look at what happens. Then, so now that he does that, then the word of the Lord came to him and said, leave here, turn eastward and hide at the Wadi Chirith. Now, a Wadi is a seasonal brook. It means it dries up during the dry season, right? So it's, it doesn't run year round. So he's going to go down to this brook that doesn't even run all year, right? This creek, or it depends where you're from, a creek. Right? So he's going to go down here to, to the Wadi Chirith where it enters the Jordan. You are to drink from the Wadi. I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. You know, some of you, as you look for provision from the Lord, there is a certain place that He wants you to be to receive that provision. Your there isn't somewhere else. Right? What if Elijah would have said, alright Lord, that's great. But I don't like that creek because it dries up. So I'm going to go over to this other one that runs all year round. Do you think the ravens would have brought the food to him over there? No, he would have been hungry and looking for fish or something else. But as it was, in fact, historical record tells us that um, Ahab had a bunch of ravens that he would feed. He would put out bread and meat for these ravens. So I don't know, but I like to think it was Ahab's ravens that were feeding him bringing that king's meat and bread over to Elijah. I don't know that. It's just an interesting, interesting thought. But somewhere there, you know, ravens are scavengers. I don't know about you, but I don't want any part of any food a raven is bringing me. So it's going to have to be pretty good for them to show up, right, and, and, and Elijah to eat this. But he is provided at a certain location. There is a certain location that you should be. Right, whether it be your job or wherever it is, maybe maybe it's a place, a state. So in verse five, so he proceeded to do what the Lord commanded. Elijah left and lived at the Wadi Chirith, where it enters the Jordan. The ravens kept bringing him bread and meat in the morning and in the evening, and he would drink from the Wadi. After a while, the Wadi dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Notice that the stream dries up before. New direction shows up. So often we want the new direction before the source dries up, right? And so now, now the stream dries up, and once the stream dries up, then the word of the Lord comes and says, "Do this." You know, I've found in my life that um, I've I've heard it said this way: the Lord's never late; He's always on time. But sometimes you wish He'd hurry, right? Because it seems like it's going to be late, but. The psalmist said this, he said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or begging bread, or his seed begging bread. So we can have confidence that he's going to provide for us. So just wait, just hold, wait for the word of the Lord. So here in verse 8, then the word of the Lord came to him and tells him, get up, go to Zarephath that belongs to Sidon and stay there. Now this is not in Israel anymore. This is not in their land. This is in a foreign land. And um, he's going to a foreign place to a foreign woman. This is not a Jew. This is not one of his people. He says, look, 
I have commanded a woman who is a widow to provide for you there. And Elijah said, are you kidding me? A widow? How's a widow going to provide for me, Lord? Why didn't you send me to a wealthy person? That would make sense. But Lord, a widow? I mean, isn't that what we would think? Right? We would go, really, Lord? What? Are you sure? A widow? Yeah, right. Isn't that going to look nice? Me going to a widow's house. I mean, people are going to talk about that. Go live with a widow. She's going to provide for me. I mean, I should be providing for her, Lord. I mean, do you really know what you're doing, Lord? You guys look at me like you would never have a conversation like that, but I know better. So, what does Elijah do? Now, make note here that it says, I have commanded a woman. So, this, this lady, the Lord had spoken to her already on this. She already has, I don't know if she had a vision, how it was, but the Lord got the message across to her that there's someone coming that you're going to take care of him. So he's already, he's already dealing with her. I have commanded, past tense. So in verse 10, so Elijah, because he's obedient, Elijah got up, went to Zarephath, and when he arrived at the city gate, there was a widow gathering wood. Elijah called her and said, please bring me a little water and a cup and let me drink. As she went to get it, he called to her and said, please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. But she said, as the Lord your God lives, See, she, she recognizes Him as a man of God. As the Lord your God lives, I don't have anything baked. Only a handful of flour in the jar and a bit of oil in the jug. And just now, I'm gathering a couple of sticks in order to go prepare it for myself and my son so we can eat it and die. This would have been about the time that most people would be wondering, did I hear from the Lord? Really? When I was young, I would read this and I thought they were going to eat the sticks. She says to gather the sticks so they can prepare them and eat them and die. And I thought, wow, man, sticks must kill you if you eat them. <laughs> Didn't realize that the sticks were probably for a fire to prepare the flour and oil, right? Like I said, I'm glad that the Lord helps enlighten me as I get older. In verse 13, then Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Doesn't this often precede a miraculous event? Don't be afraid. Because when you are facing the impossible, when you're facing what looks like not going to happen, what, what, what's the temptation? It's to fear. It's to be in fear. But listen, you can't have miracles without impossible events. I said at the beginning of the year that some of us are going to face difficult times this year, but that means we're also in a position to receive miracles. Right? If everything goes right, there's no miracle required. But it's only when things become desperate that the God can be glorified because of His miraculous intervention. Shawnee, that's where you can say amen. We're going to later... Uh, we're going to pray with them for a situation that they're walking through right now. And we'll explain it when we get to the end of the sermon. So here, he says, don't be afraid. Go and do as you have said. But first, make me a small loaf from it and bring it out to me. Afterwards, you may make some for yourself and your son. Isn't that interesting? I mean, if, if, if Kenneth Copeland would try that today, go to a widow... 
who is like got uh, one meal left and say, first bring it to me. They would crucify him on the six o'clock news. Right? You can just see the headlines. But what's Elijah doing? Elijah is getting her into a position so that God can do something for her. She already recognized that he is a man of God. So she sees that. The Lord's already dealt with her heart. What's coming? And so he is just trying to get her into a place that if she'll do something for the Lord, now the Lord can do something for her. It positions her to be able to receive the miraculous. And so what does he tell her? He tells her, don't be afraid. Go and do this. Bring some to me first. And now he gives her the word of the Lord. He said, for this is what the Lord God of Israel says. Notice that he specifies it's the Lord God of Israel. Right? Because he's talking to a pagan lady. And he says, the flour jar will not become empty and the oil jug will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the surface of the land. So she proceeded to do according to the word of Elijah. Then the woman, Elijah and her household, ate for many days. The flour did not become empty and the oil jug did not run dry according to the word the Lord he had spoken through Elijah. A miraculous event. I mean, we're just seeing miracle after miracle happen here. Miracles of provision. Miracles of it not raining because I said so. Miracle of the ravens providing. Miracle of a pagan lady hearing the Lord and obeying. The miracle of this oil and this, this flower not running out and feeding many people for a long time. So then in verse 17, after this, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. You know, we like to think that if we're going to live in the miraculous, we're going to just be kept from trouble. Right? And there is such a thing as supernatural protection. I'm not minimizing that. But what I'm saying is, Jesus did say that you're going to face trouble. Right? But be of good cheer. Because I've overcome the world. And he, provided the, he provides the victory. So here, this woman, even though they're living in the miraculous, and every day they're experiencing this ongoing miracle, the child, the son becomes ill. And it says his illness got worse until he stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, Man of God, what do you have against me? Have you come to call attention to my iniquity so that my son is put to death? You're holy. I'm not. You're here with me. And now this God is here at my house and sees my sin and is going to judge me. See, condemnation. But Elijah said to her, give me your son. So he took him from her arms, brought him to the upstairs room where he was staying, and laid him on his own bed. Then he cried out to the Lord and said, Lord my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow I am staying with by killing her son? Then he stretched himself out over the boy three times. Three times he did this. Would we have stopped after the first time? Or the second time? Notice it took three times. But he didn't quit because he had a vision of something else on the inside of him. He didn't have a vision of dead boy in him. He had a vision of a living boy. Right? And so he, 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 lay, he stretches himself out on him. He cries out to the Lord and said, Lord my God, please let this boy's life come into him again. So the Lord listened to Elijah. 
And the boy's life came into him again, and he lived. Now this is the first recorded account of a resurrection in Scripture. You know, it wasn't like Elijah knew of stories in the past that people prayed and people were raised from the dead. Right? He, he's doing something that's out of the box. Then Elijah took the boy, brought him down from the upstairs room into the house and gave him to his mother. Elijah said, look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know you are a man of God and the Lord's word from your mouth is true. Sometimes the first miracle isn't enough, I guess. Did you know that no amount of miracles can convince someone that refuses to believe? Right? It was, if, if a miracle alone could do it, then everyone in the whole world would have believed when Jesus walked the earth. But clearly, a miracle alone is not enough. What we need is for the Holy Spirit to prompt them and then they need to yield to that. In, in chapter 18, now let's continue reading. Elijah's message to Ahab here. So after a long time, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. Now, in James it says it was three and a half years. Three years, six months. Go and present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the surface of the land. So now he has the word of the Lord that it's going to rain. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. The famine was severe in Samaria. Ahab called for Obadiah who was in charge of the palace. Obadiah was a man who greatly feared the Lord and took a hundred prophets and hid them, fifty men in a cave, to provide them with food and water when Jezebel slaughtered the Lord's prophets. So it's like his administrator here, right? He's administrator of the palace. So Ahab said to Obadiah, go throughout the land to every spring and to every wadi. Perhaps we'll find grass so we can keep the horses and mules alive and not have to destroy any cattle. They divided the land between them in order to cover it. Ahab went one way by himself and Obadiah went the other way by himself. Now while Obadiah was walking along the road, Elijah suddenly met him. When Obadiah recognized him, he fell face down and said, is it you, my lord, Elijah? It is I, he replied. Go and tell your lord, Elijah's here. But Obadiah said, what sin have I committed that you are handing your servant over to Ahab to put me to death? As the Lord your God lives, there's no nation or kingdom where my Lord has not sent someone to search for you. When they said he's not here, he made that kingdom or nation swear they had not found you. Now you say, go tell your Lord Elijah's here. But when I leave you, the spirit of the Lord may carry you off to some place I don't know. Then when I go report to Ahab and he doesn't find you, he will kill me. But I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Wasn't it reported to my Lord what I did when Jezebel slaughtered the Lord's prophets? I hid a hundred of the prophets of the Lord, fifty men to a cave, and provided them with food and water. Now you say, go tell your Lord Elijah is here? He will kill me. <laughs> I find it interesting that he thinks the Spirit of the Lord may carry him away. Apparently that was more commonplace than what it is today. And... Um, It'd be good to get back to that too, wouldn't it? Just be transported from place to place as needed. So then Elijah said, As the Lord of armies lives in whose presence I stand, today I will present myself to Ahab. Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him. Then Ahab went to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is that you, the one ruining Israel? He replied, I have not ruined Israel, but you and your father's family have because you have abandoned the Lord's commands and followed the Baals. Now summon all Israel to meet me at Mount Carmel along with the 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. 
So Ahab summoned all the Israelites and gathered the prophets at Mount Carmel. I guess he figures that this will help it rain. He's going to do whatever he can. So then Elijah approached all the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal, follow Him. But the people didn't answer Him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I am the only remaining prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us. They are to choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces and place it on the wood, but not light the fire. I will prepare the other bull and place it on the wood, but not light the fire. Then you call in the name of your God, and I will call in the name of the Lord, the God who answers with fire. He is God. All the people answered, that's fine. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, since you are so numerous, choose for yourselves one bull, prepare it first, then call on the name of your God, but don't light the fire. So they took the bull that he gave them, prepared it, called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Baal, answer us. But there was no sound, no one answered. Then they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah mocked them and said, shout loudly, for he's a God. Maybe he's thinking it over. Maybe he has wandered away. Maybe he's on the road. Perhaps he's sleeping and will wake up. They shouted loudly and cut themselves with knives and spears according to their custom until blood gushed over them. All afternoon they kept on raving until the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no sound, no one answered, no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near me. So all the people approached him. Then he repaired the Lord's altar that had been torn down. Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel will be your name. And he built an altar with the stones in the name of the Lord. And then he made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold about four gallons. Next he arranged the wood, cut up the bull, placed it on the wood. He said, fill four water pots with water and pour it on the offering to be burned and on the wood. You know, wet wood doesn't light. So he's trying to make it as hard as possible for the Lord. That way nobody can say, yeah, you, you, you did something. You had a match down in there somewhere. You lit it. Nope, he's, he's just going to answer all of it. So uh, they pour it in verse 34. He says, do it a second time. And they did a second time. And then he said a third time. And they did it a third time. So water ran all around the altar and even filled the trench with water. At the time for offering the evening sacrifice, the prophet Elijah approached the altar and said, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel today, let it be known that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that your word, at your word, I have done all these things. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so that this people will know that you, the Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the Lord's fire fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. This is more than just a simple lightning strike. I mean, this is, this is some real power happening. When all the people saw it, they fell face down and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Then Elijah ordered them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let even one of them escape. So they seized them and Elijah brought them down to the Wadi Kishon and slaughtered them there. Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of a rainstorm. I think this must have been something he was hearing on the inside of him. Because at this point, there's not even a cloud visible anywhere. 
So where's this sound coming from? He is a man of faith. We know that the Lord had told him it's going to rain. And so he is declaring some things in faith. He's saying, sound of the rainstorm. So Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah went up to the summit of Carmel. He bent down on the ground and put his face between his knees. Then he said to his servant, go up and look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, there's nothing. I don't know, maybe I didn't hear right. Let's try again. Seven times Elijah said, go back. You know, after the second time, when he climbs back out and he looks out over the sea and there's nothing, comes back, no, no, Master, there's nothing out there. Elijah prays, says, go look again. So the third time. And then the fourth time. And then the fifth time. And then the sixth time. There's just no quit in him. Right? Persistence. Faith that doesn't give up. Now remember, he's a man like you and I. And he's just praying earnestly. He's not doing anything that you or I couldn't do. That's what Scripture tells us. We look at this and go, wow, his prayer controlled the weather over a whole region for three and a half years. That's really wild. Yeah, but you could do the same. We have mental assent to that, but we really don't get it here. So seven times, on the seventh time, he reported, there is a cloud as small as a man's hand coming up from the sea. I'm sure this isn't the first time there's been a cloud. I mean, clouds can be around without there being any rain, right? Especially in deserts. There's clouds that go over the Sahara. It just doesn't rain. They just blow on over. They don't release the water. And so in this case, he sees a cloud. And Elijah says, go and tell Ahab, get your chariot ready and go down so the rain doesn't stop you. He is expecting that his prayers are answered. He's expecting that the Lord's going to do exactly what he said he would do. And so what happens? In a little while, the sky grew dark with clouds and wind and there was a downpour. So Ahab got in his chariot and went to Jezreel. The power of the Lord was on Elijah and he tucked his mantle under his belt and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. He outran horses. That's, that's the Lord helping you right there. Go, go over to James chapter 5. I read all of that so that I could read these verses to you. We're talking about expecting miracles. We're seated in authority with Him. In verse 13 of James chapter 5, is anyone among you suffering or troubled? He should pray. Why should he pray? Because it will make a difference. It'll change the situation. You'll go from trouble to victory. And, and notice, just want to be bold on this point, it doesn't say get other people to pray for you. It says He should pray. He should do the praying. If, you, if you've got a problem, you should pray. It's alright to ask someone to agree with you in prayer, but don't pass off the prayer to someone else. You make it your prayer. You be a person of faith. 
I mean, look at the next line. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Right? So what do you do when you're cheerful? You sing. What do you do when you're troubled? You pray. You know, when you're cheerful, you don't call someone else up and say, hey, you sing a song because I'm happy. That's how silly it is to say, you pray because I'm in trouble. No, you pray. And then you can ask someone to agree, have the prayer of agreement with you. What, what goes on here? He says in verse 14, is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him. So now, this is implying someone who is sick. Someone Now they're calling for other people to pray. And really, it implies someone that maybe they're not able to go out even. right? Someone that's sick and maybe they're bedfast. But he's saying, so they're going to come to him. They're going to come to him. And they're going to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Now listen to what he says. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. And now as an example, he uses Elijah. He says, Elijah was a human being as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced its fruit. Saying that if Elijah could do that, so could you. And praying for healing or praying for it not to rain for three and a half years, either one's a miracle, right? You don't have the ability to do either one in your own strength or in your own power. And you're reliant completely on the Lord to do it. But you have the ear of Him who can do those things. And so you lift your request up to Him. You pray earnestly. And your prayer is very powerful in its working or in its effect. But it's not just about weather and just about healing. There's many different ways of experiencing a miracle, right? There's miracles that affect us individually. There's miracles that affect groups of people. There's miracles that touch even entire nations. Like not raining for three and a half years over a whole nation. We're talking about expecting miracles. Expecting them when we come to the Lord and we're asking for a miracle, expect it. In Acts chapter 4, I had talked to you a little bit about the story of the healing of the lame man at the gate. Beautiful, right? Peter and John, they get arrested. They, they stand in court about this whole situation. They explain what happened. And so then they're threatened and told, you can't preach in this name anymore. And so in verse 23, after they were released of chapter 4 in Acts, after they were released, they went to their own people and reported everything the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together to God and they began to pray. And let's see what they prayed and what happened. This is what they prayed. Master, You are the One who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. You said through the Holy Spirit by the mouth of our father David, Your servant, why do the Gentiles rage and the people plot futile things? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers assemble together against the Lord and His Messiah. 
So they're quoting out of Psalms 2. We'll read it in a moment. And then they go on and they pray. And they say, For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, assembled together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, to do whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your servant may speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the Word of God boldly. So, they come to the Lord with a request and they are their request isn't just an individual little one. It's in regards to nations. It's in regards to nations. And by the way, if you saw our friends step out, they, um, Leandra actually leads a Bible study. And um, they're having a Bible study later tonight that she's leading. And so she told me they were going to have to leave early if you were wondering what happened to them. Go with me over to Psalms chapter 2. In Psalms 2, see, right now with what's going on in, with Ukraine and Russia and, and everything that's happening in the nations, this is the time that we need to be praying. I mean, more than before. Right? If, if the Lord cares about what's happening with nations, and He does, and if we have His ear, then we can make a difference in the outcomes of these things. Psalms chapter 2, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and His anointed one. Let's tear off their chains and throw their ropes off of us. The one enthroned in heaven laughs and the Lord ridicules them. Then He speaks to them in His anger and He terrifies them in His wrath. This is what he says. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. Talking of Jesus. I will declare the Lord's decree, he said to me. You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with an iron scepter and you will shatter them like pottery. Remember, the government is on his shoulders. Right? We are seated. With Him, far above every ruler, every power, every authority, every dominion, every name that is named. And Putin is a name. So now, kings, be wise. Receive instruction, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. This is instruction to the kings of the world. Or to presidents, or whatever, you, whatever they are in their different countries. Pay homage to the Son or He will be angry and you will perish in your rebellion. For His anger may ignite at any moment. All who take refuge in Him are happy. So here's the deal. Either get on board or be destroyed. That's what He's saying. And so, you and I today, we can just declare some things out. We can pray. and We're going to do that in a moment. I want us to take a hold of nation-changing prayer. And we're going to pray for Ukraine that they can stand, that they can, they can withstand this attack that's come against them. That they'll receive the help that they need to overcome. And we're going to pray too that either Putin 
repents and changes or is removed. One of the two. There's no need that thousands of lives are lost because of a madman. And right now, well, as of yesterday, it was over 3,000 Russian soldiers that already lost their life. That's 3,000 moms, 3,000 dads, that's all kinds of wives and children that are suffering needlessly. So let's not pray just for Ukraine. Let's pray for Russia too. You know, out of this could come the greatest revival that Europe and Asia has ever experienced. Out of this could come World War III. Depending on what happens. Depending on... See, Ukraine is... This is a Ukrainian flag right here. Right above Mike here, the yellow and the blue one. Ukraine is not a member of NATO. And the, the nations that are a member of NATO, if one of them is, are attacked, all the NATO members are required to come to their defense. Putin has for a long time been standing as the roadblock, not allowing Ukraine to become part of NATO. And for his own personal reasons. And so now, the, some of the surrounding nations that are part of NATO, that used to be part of the former Soviet Union, they're seeing the writing on the wall. And they're saying, we're next. In fact, I've been reading over the last number of months uh, the book called The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. And it's an old book, and it's a huge book. And so it takes quite a while to make it through it. But in there, they detail a very detailed account of the rise and fall of Hitler and his whole regime. And his playbook is exactly what Putin is doing. It's the same tactics, the same claims, the same approach. It is just absolutely amazing to me, the similarities. And that the fact that the whole world is not going, well, time out right here by just seeing the similarities between the two. And so we know how that, how that worked out for the world when Hitler did all of that. You know, the nations, that much, much like today, they didn't want to get involved. And okay, they'll just appease him. He'll take the one nation. He's just liberating his people in that nation. And it just kept growing and growing until finally everyone did get involved. And a lot of loss of life. And so, we can, we can look at... Well, let's just bring it home for a moment. You know, we can look at all the politics of our nation and we can look at, well, here we need this person to run. We need to vote for that guy. We need this lady over here to run. And we can look at all the, the, the physical pieces, if you will, on the chessboard. But that's not where the victory is. Sure, we do those parts. We do those pieces. But the victory has to be a move of God in the people in our land. And to be a part of that solution as you and I, we have to have some nation-changing prayer happening in, from you and I. Praying for our nations. Praying for our, our, our states and our government. And praying that righteousness be restored. Now, a person that only prayers and does no work, that's not faith either. But if you do all work and no faith, well, that's spinning wheels too. And it's an exercise in futility. And so, what we really need to do is keep our focus 
and, and realize that change can only come from one way, and that is by a revival happening in the church and an awakening happening in the land. People coming into the kingdom. That's what changes cultures. You can legislate all day long and you can't legislate away evil. But when the Lord comes into your heart, suddenly you've been translated from evil to light. And you have a whole different set of values. And that's what's going to bring deliverance to our land. But more than just our land, to the nations, right? To Ukraine. I mean, they have, Ukraine has many believers. And they're praying right now. They're in subways and they're in places and they're in their churches and they're praying and they're crying out to the Lord and they're standing in faith and they're worshiping the Lord. Let's join them and stand with them and declare and pray and ask for the impossible things. And in Russia, same way. You know, there's, there's plenty of the people in Russia, they're, they're actually having huge protests in Moscow. And enough with the war. You know, they don't want it. And so, why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand. Well, it says the Lord laughs. And He says, ask of Me. Ask for the nations for your inheritance. The ends of the earth for your possession. So, whether Putin goes or stays, we want to see an awakening. A move. A revival in the churches that are there. An awakening into the people that have not been awoken yet. Right? We're not talking about being woke either. Alright, let's pray. Father, we lift up the nation of Ukraine to You. The believers that are there. Lord, move and work through them. Cause a revival to break out in Your people in the land of Ukraine. Lord, in the people that don't believe in You, Father, awaken them. Put a draw on them by Your Spirit. Cause a great awakening to come out of Ukraine. A great awakening to, to come forth in Russia. Lord, we lift up Your body in Russia. Your body in Ukraine. And we ask for a unity in these people, a unity in these churches, and a focus, Father, that they look to You for their deliverance. They look to You for their answers. That they would rise up as one man and pray down deliverance upon that entire part of the world. Father, I thank You for, for strength for the nation of Ukraine. And those that are protecting, Lord, that You give them the how-to, that You direct their hands, that You have trained their hands for war, that You cause them to be victorious. Father, give them the aid that they need and, and the people to come alongside them that, that are required and are needed for victory to be established and that Ukraine as a nation would not cease to exist, but that they would remain in Jesus' name. Father, I thank You for deliverance. Deliverance from this evil. Deliverance from this needless death and bloodshed. Deliverance from this oppression. And I thank You for it. Father, we call for a stop to Putin. A stop to his agenda. A stop to his expanding and taking over these places and, and the bloodshed that he's bringing. Father, whether he be bipolar, whatever it is, I ask You for a clear mind to him. And that by Your Spirit You draw Him and that grant Him repentance. Give Him the ability to change, to repent, to fall upon His face, to acknowledge You as Lord, and to do righteousness in that entire region. Father, this is our request. 
And Lord, if he refuses that, then we call for his removal entirely from the scene. His removal entirely from any place of influence. Lord, you were able to touch in a moment. You, you gave Nebuchadnezzar over to, to a crazy mind and he was driven and, and, and he no longer ruled over the kingdom. Well, in the same way, Father, we just turn Putin over to you that either he repent and turn from his evil or he be driven out in Jesus' name. Father, I ask you that even tonight as, as this is all going on and this is all happening, that in the people's homes, that wherever they're hiding or wherever they're, they're hunkered down and as they cry out to you, Lord, that your, your presence would be near them. That you would comfort them. Those that have already uh, experienced loss and, and death and different things around them, Lord, that you would just cause your presence to be so real with them. That your comfort would be on them. And Father, that you would enable them, cause them to see and have a vision of victory on the inside. Cause them to birth within them what you want to do in that nation and the deliverance you want to bring about. Father, I'm asking you to birth within the people of Russia of the kind of nation that you want them to be and that they would walk it out, that they would pray it out, that they would declare it out and be a part of that solution as well. And I thank you for it. Father, I lift up our nation, these United States of America to you. I ask you, Lord, for righteousness to return to every place, to, to every place of authority, every place that represents the people, every place of government. Lord, I ask that you would work on the hearts of the minds of men and women in these places of authority, in these places of responsibility, in these places of, 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 of serving, Lord, that you would bring understanding and enlighten the eyes and minds of the people, that you would open up their hearts to see and to know that you are God and to acknowledge you as Lord and Master. Father, I ask you that as a church, our church, and as the body of Christ in this, in this nation, that we would rise up. Father, put it into the church's heart to pray, to declare, to say the things that need to happen. Father, I ask you that we would see a miraculous turnaround in this nation that will affect not only us, Lord, but the nations beside us. That revival will spill over into Mexico and up north into Canada. Lord, I thank you for freedom in this land and a great awakening, a great revival as none of us have experienced in our life yet. Lord, we're looking to you. We want to see the miraculous again. We want to see people delivered. Father, we want to see when we lay hands on the sick, they recover and people come into the kingdom and, and submit their lives to you. Father, that when we pray, the answer comes and it becomes very, very evident and very, very vivid to those looking on that the Lord, He is God. That the Lord, He is God. Father, we declare you as our God. Jesus, you are Lord over Pennsylvania. You are Lord over these United States of America. We declare you as Lord. We hail you as King. And we acknowledge you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. 
Thank you. Father, put it into the right people's hearts to run for office. Bring them the right people to work with them to manage their campaigns. But Father, most of all, cause an awakening within them, an awareness of Your presence, an awareness of Your leading, a submittedness to Your Word and to Your will. And I thank You for this in Jesus' name. And Amen. We've asked for the nations, right, as an inheritance in the kingdom. This is a scriptural prayer. So now, we confidently and expectantly look for this to take place. And when, it, and when you think about it through the day, just in that moment, say, Lord, lift him up in prayer. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be five minutes long. It can be a ten-second prayer, right? But be aware of the Lord with you. His presence with you. And lift, lift up our, our brothers and sisters in Ukraine and in Russia to the Lord and thank Him for the deliverance that is theirs. Praise God. Woo. Good to have Pastor back, huh? and mercy will follow me. That means that where you are, there's love. Where you are, there's mercy. Where you are, there's the presence of God. And that makes all the difference. All the difference. Not only in your personal life, but in those lives that you're intersecting on every day. Father, I thank You that You continue to work in and through us. Things that You've done in the past, Father, we're asking for them again. Lord, a, an awakening and a renewal in each one of us individually. Father, with a greater awareness of Your presence, with a greater hunger and desire for more of You and to become like You. And I thank You for this. Thank You, Lord, for putting your desires in our heart. Thank you, Father, that you put the vision on the inside of us of what you want to do in our communities, in, in our state, in our counties, in our, in our country, Lord. 
Father, I ask that your the vision that you would have us as Church of the Word International to walk in together corporately, that you would awaken it within all of us, that there would be a unity, a working together, and a, a like-mindedness of what you want to do through us. And I thank you for this in Jesus' name, and amen. Well, one way that we love God is loving on each other. So make sure that you take the time to do that. Check up on each other. There's time of refreshment downstairs and everyone is invited. everyone. Welcome to Church of the Word International here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Don't I sound like I was born here? <laughs> lots of practice, lots of correction. Oh, praise the Lord. So happy that you're all here tonight. Thanks for coming and assembling yourself with the believers and each other in this beautiful, loving family. And that's what we are. We're family. I'd like to encourage your worship time tonight, and that's from right now till it's over. It's all worship to the Lord, every bit of it, setting our hearts to Him. In Psalms 108, it says, Oh God, my heart is steadfast. That's like established and just steadfast. I'll sing and I'll give praise, even with my glory, which is my tongue. Awake, lute and harp, I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the people. And I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your mercy is great above the heavens, and your truth reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, and your glory above all the earth, that your beloved may be delivered. Save with your right hand, and hear me. God has spoken in the heavenlies, and I will rejoice. Aren't you glad when God gives you a word and just gives you confidence? So when that happens, O men, O that men would give thanks unto the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them sacrifice the sacrifice of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. And guess what? We get to do all of that tonight. So let's stand up together as family. Set our hearts on the Lord Jesus Christ, our deliverer who shed his blood on the cross for you and I to make a way into eternal life. Amen. We have so much to be thankful for tonight. Amen. Amen. Are you redeemed? Yes. But are, are you redeemed? Yes. <laughs> As the word says, let the let redeemed the of the Lord say so. It doesn't mean whisper so or casually say. We're talking about say so. Are you redeemed? Yes. Okay. Let's worship.
up tonight. Jesus, we lift you up tonight. We thank you for the shed blood of Jesus tonight, the suffering servant that came to the earth, laid his life down on the cross for you and I. We just put our eyes on you. You're the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end of our faith. Our eyes are ever on you, Jesus. We thank you for what you're going to do tonight, Father. Through your Holy Spirit, just sweep through us. Let the eyes of our understanding be open tonight that we may know and understand the hope and the calling that you have for each one of us. Father, our hearts are open to you. They're supple. They're submitted. They're surrendered for all that you have to do in our lives tonight. We want to change, Lord. We want to grow. We want to be more like your son, Jesus. So have your way through the word of God tonight, through the Holy Spirit tonight, individually and collectively, Lord. We thank you for the upgrade. We thank you for the increase. We honor you and exalt you and magnify you tonight. We bless your holy name, King of kings, Lord of lords, our Savior and King Jesus Christ. Amen. Glad to be here tonight. Amen. There's nothing like assembling with like-minded brothers and sisters in the Lord. It's the greatest place to be at. So turn to one of them and say, I love you. I'm glad you're here tonight. We're going to have a fabulous night tonight in Jesus. And the children may be dismissed. Well, good evening, everyone. It's good to see all of you here with us tonight. It's good to have our pastor back with us. Woohoo! Not sure where he went, but he's here. Well, we'd like to welcome you here if you're here for the very first time. So could you just raise your hand so we can acknowledge you, give you a hand clap. Welcome. We're so glad you're with us tonight. We trust you'll be blessed. All right. Well, we're going to return the tithe to the Lord this evening. So if you need a cash envelope, you can raise your hand. If you're giving by cash and would like to be tax receipted at the end of the year, uh, just go ahead and fill that out. If you're giving by credit card, please fill out all of the blanks. And we're going to return the tithe from the heart that we are established in the fact that God is our source. Rooted and grounded that he's the provider. That's the heart we are returning the tithe from. Amen. How many know that it is God's will for you to not be in lack? Would you agree with that? Amen. I'm in the right place. Why do you agree with that? Anybody got some scriptures? Yes. Any other scriptures? We need scriptures. Why we believe stuff, right? Okay, there's... Yes. Come on, we need to dig in and say, hey, why do I believe that? I don't, God doesn't want me to be in lack, but why? All right, I have some. Jesus said he came to give us life, more abundant life, overabundant life. How about this one in, in 1 Samuel says he raises the poor from the dust. Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I will not lack. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, why would you lay down in green pastures if you're an animal? I mean, you know. Otherwise, if you're a kid, maybe to roll around. But if you're an animal and you're roll, and you're laying down in a green pasture, means you have eaten your fill, 
You are full, and there's so much extra and plenty. You know what? You just need to sit and take a nap a while before you can go at it again. Abundance. How about my God will supply all of my needs according to his riches? Is that a promise to provide? Does that sound like he wants you lacking? How about in Matthew 6? says your heavenly father knows what you need. You know, there's things down here that, that we need to survive, and, and he knows that. He cares about that. And he says if you'll just put him first, put his things first, his kingdom first, that all of those needs will be added to you. All of those things that the Gentiles just, you know, get themselves dizzy with running around chasing, he will provide for you. So he knows and he cares but he wants you to put his trust, your trust in him, in his word. Yeah. And then you're not going to come up short. You know, the promised land, you know, the first um, generation of Israelites, you know, he, he told them, I want to bring you into a good land. You find this in Deuteronomy 8. He promised to bring them into a good land. And in that chapter 8, he talks about the kind of bountiful land this land was. I mean, rich resources, you know, figs and pomegranates and honey and, oh, I mean, lots of good stuff. And, and what does it say in there? It says, a land where bread will not be scarce and you lack nothing. Did God change from that? No. God hasn't changed from that one bit. He still wants this for us. Let me read you something out of Job. Job 36 says, verse 16 says, he is wooing you from the jaws of distress. You know, when I, when I read this phrase, I thought, hmm, I, I thought of this mouser. You know what I mean by a mouser? A farm cat that chases mice? We used to have some. And if you ever saw a cat with a mouse in his mouth, that's the jaws of distress. He is meaning to consume that mouse. He completely wants to devour them Eat them up, destroy. Okay, what did it say? He is wooing you from the jaws of distress to a spacious place, free from restriction, to the comfort of your table, laden with choice food. Does that sound like God wants you to stay in lack? Or you're going under, not making it, going to just, I don't know, dissolve in a puff of smoke because poverty? No, no. All right, then. So we're pretty clear. God wants us in plenty, not poverty. We're all clear? All right. So then, if I yield to fear, to the thoughts of we're not going to have it on time, I'm going to come up short. It's not going to be there when I need it. What am I doing? I'm, I'm yielding to fear, unbelief, and doubt. What I'm saying is, Lord, I doubt your word. We just said... I believe he want, doesn't want me to lack, right? So then if I, I know thoughts come. Look, I've, we've been there. We, we understand deadlines, housing deadlines, money deadlines, bill deadlines, oh, deadlines. I'm sure you have to. But if, and so thoughts come, but what am I going to do with it? No, you have to resist that. You got to not just replace it with another thought. Oh yes, God wants me in plenty. You know, you got to say some things. You got to declare some things. So I want, so Psalms 34. This is my favorite psalm. And I would love to read it all, but for time's sake, we're just going to read a few verses. 
Psalms 34 verse 6 says this, poor man called. When I looked up this word called, it brought out like cry out, recite, read, proclaim. These were all in the definitions of, of this word called. So what do you think this poor man was proclaiming? Lord, I don't know why I'm so broke. You never do anything for me. I'm always running out. Never going to make it. You think he was proclaiming that? I doubt it. No, because it says the Lord heard him. And we know that when we pray and come to the Lord with and ask according to his will, he hears us. So he ain't speaking doubt and unbelief. He's he, This poor man's proclaiming the word, proclaiming the truth, proclaiming what he, they know that God wants. It says, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Now, what do you think that looks like for a poor man? The trouble's gone. Whew, gone. He saved him. All right. How about verse 8? It says, taste, experience, you know, and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. It means you're trusting. That means you're like, I'm up against it, Lord. I don't... Mm, I'm going to run over here and I'm going to hold on to this word and I'm going to trust with everything I got. I'm not taking my eyes off you. You're the strong tower. It says, fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. Hey, there we see it again. Does he want you to lack? No. Those that fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Boy, we see that again. Do you see your part, though? The poor man called and proclaimed something. Uh, Those that take refuge in him. It says, those that fear the Lord lack no good thing. Those that seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come on. We have a part. Well, the Lord just wants me to be in plenty, but why ain't I then? Well, are you doing these things? Are Are we engaging with him? participating with his word. You know, when you fear the Lord, I know I'm taking a little long here, but do you trust that the Lord speaks through those that he puts up here, that he has something for you? I trust that this is for us. I mean, it's for me if it's not for you. (laughs) I'm not preaching at you. This is for me too. When you fear the Lord with a reverential fear, there's a certain respect and um, that you, an honor that you put on the word. So when the word says to return the tithe and see if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour out blessing until it swallows up that need, I'm going to honor the word. When the word says to, you know, look out for the poor, that it's actually a loan to him, that it's in a way of honoring the Lord, then I'm going to do that. When the Lord says, seek my kingdom first, not, well, if there's anything left over, and well, I don't know, well, what do I have rummage around in my purse? What's the, in, When I put his works first, then, then he takes care of us. So that's fearing the Lord, right? Okay. So we're all excited to tithe, and we're going to have a missions offering after this one, and we all should be excited because the Lord wants to move us out of lack. If, if any of us here are in that, he wants to move you out of that into plenty. Amen. Amen. All right, well then, let's take a hold of our tithes and let's return it to the Lord and pray.
Lord, we're so grateful to be your children tonight, and we just thank you for your promises to us. We thank you that your heart is good towards us, and that you want us to live an abundant life, to be a blessing, not to hoard it up for ourselves, Lord, but to be a conduit, a pipeline for you. And Lord, we just thank you that you've never let us down, that you've always been faithful. So we just thank you, Lord, that we can count on you to provide. We can count on you to bring us through in every situation. So we present the tithe as part of our worship to you. And we thank you for the answer to every need in this house met in Jesus' name. And amen. Amen. And the ushers can pass the baskets and the people will give to the Lord. It is our missions Saturday. We, once a month, the end of the month, we uh, have a missions focus where we do a second offering for any, any place that you want to give into missions. Just write it in the memo field and 100% of it goes on to that particular mission or alms if there's somebody's, Lord's laid somebody on your heart to give um, an alms to. If it's a new place, like a new mission or missionary, Somewhere where we have not given before, if you could just include the address, that is very helpful. On that note, mentioning Missions Weekend, many of you know um, the recent developments in Ukraine and the need there. And so those of you that know who Sky Barkley is, so he's over there in Kiev, uh, Ukraine right now. And... I was messaging him this week, and he was just making us aware, or I was asking, so then he was making me aware of some needs that they have. So be praying about whether the Lord wants you to be a part of that. They are believing God for another vehicle. They're believing God for medical supplies, uh, food, to just be able to do the humanitarian aid that they'd like to do there in the country, and also for their safety. You know, they're, they're they're seeing this, you know, play out right in front of them, so pray for their safety. So the home groups are going to be taking place this week. There is one change to the schedule here. The ROP home group will be on Thursday night, not Tuesday night, so those of you a part of that probably know that, but in case you were going to surprise us and show up, it's on Thursday. (laughs) If you're not part of the home group, um, I would really encourage you to at least follow along uh, online. You can go online to faithlifechurch.com, and it's honor to whom honor, and the Lord wants to do more in our lives. So it's as we honor him that he's able to do that. One more thing I wanted to mention, two more things. So CityGate's coming up. If you want to be a part of CityGate Columbia, the sign-up sheet is in the back. And I just wanted to mention, I know that We all should be aware of this fact, but the primaries are coming up in May. And with that, there are a lot of good candidates that are running for um, offices, and we should be praying about who we should support. You know, there's people that have never done this before, and they just, they're wanting to bring change to our state. You know, what is my part to play? What is your part to play in that? Be praying for the right one to get in. Be praying about, should I help a campaign? Should I give funding? Um, there are opportunities. Free PA, if you go to um, freepa.net, they have some candidates there. They have information there that could help connect you. I know that Laura Burroughs has a friend that's running 
for an office and they're needing uh, help in running their campaign. So be praying about that and be a part of the solution. Be a part of the solution. The missions offering. All right, so if you need a cash envelope to give into the missions offering, raise your hand. The ushers will bring you one. And then when you guys are ready, go ahead and pass the baskets again. And I believe I'll ask our pastor to come up. I'm so glad you're home. (laughs) It is really good to be here with you again back from the top of the top of Africa back from uh, climbing Mount Kilimanjaro and I know a number of you were praying for me and so I'll just give you uh, a brief update on kind of how it went and then um, so that I don't have to have the same conversation with all of you I'm going to let you ask some questions because probably most of you have similar questions and so maybe if I answer them uh, in this way, it'll answer them for everyone, or mostly. And so uh, we, we did a seven-day um, climb. Well, seven days, six days up and one day back. And so um, we went all the way to the peak. All of us did 19,341 feet. Um, by comparison, that's one mile higher than the highest mountain we have in the lower 48 states. So uh, the air is really thin up there and you move super, super slowly so as to conserve oxygen. And uh, it was just, it was a really great time. We had, we had so much fun. And um, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about um, what the Lord did for me there is because we had, well, after the, after the mountain climb, we came back down. Then we went on a five-day safari out into the Serengeti and, and a number of other places and uh, saw pretty much every animal. I think there is the sea over there. And um, the only one that we didn't get close to was a rhino. We did see them, but they were pretty far away. So I had a really good time. On the climb, um, in, in before going, you know, I read after a bunch of people that went and what they had to say about it and their recommendations and all of that. And all of them all said the same thing, is that it was one of the hardest things I ever did in my life. Some, a bunch of them said it was the hardest thing. Do, is there anyone here that, that climbed Kilimanjaro? Okay, no. So, <laughs> in, in, so I expected that there's going to be some difficulty. And, um, you know, but you train for it and, and you do everything you can. And, and one of the things that um, I was reading is breathe more than you think you need to. And so, so I did that, you know. But I have to say, it was one of the easiest things I ever did. <laughs> I mean, and it's not because I'm that strong. I want to be real clear about that. I mean, the other guys struggled. They struggled, and they considered giving up, and, and they, they, they struggled. And, um, but for me, it was, like, it was like the Lord was helping me. Because it was just so easy. It wasn't difficult in any way, shape, or form. It was not anywhere remotely close to the book of hard things I've done. And so here's where it got interesting is, well, as in going up, you know, I am, I am encouraging the team. I'm praying for them when they get, get into trouble and praying for other people, other climbers. There's a lot of other climbers on the mountain. 
as, as they're in trouble and faltering, I'd stop and pray for them. And there was a 75-year-old man that climbed it for his 75th birthday. And he made it up to the top because we had passed him and then he summited while we were still up there. And so that was, that was really fun to see. So those of you that are 75, hey, it's still within reach. And, um, but anyway, so after we come down, the other guys are talking about the difficulties of it and how hard it was. And I'll, I'll explain it this way to you. It was like um, the grace of God was on me to climb it. And then He let me come down in my own strength. Because partway down, I realized coming down is a lot harder than going up. I mean, it's not. But it was for me, right? Because going up, the Lord was just putting wind into my muscles, right? And, and causing it to, to be an easy thing. And then when I'm coming down, it was like the grace of God to climb the mountain had lifted. And now I was just coming down in, in normal strength. And, and there was pain involved in that. Because you just go down for miles and miles and you go down very quickly. And your muscles would kind of like a break uh, from all the down, 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 down. Most people train to go, go up. They just don't train to go back down. And so if you climb a mountain, realize that you can't live on the mountaintop. We'd like to, right? But you can't spend a whole lot of time up there because of the air is, is so thin. But nobody lives their life on a mountaintop. There's mountaintops and there's valleys. And then there's the trek in between. And so sometimes we get so fixated on, on reaching a certain goal in our life and a certain mountaintop that we forget to live in the everyday moment of God the journey, right? And so, um, so yeah, that was, that was, I, I honestly, I, I, can, I know that you guys were praying for me, and this is why I'm telling you this so strongly, that there's few things in my life that I have done where I sense the presence of God so strongly and Him helping me so much. Why to just climb a mountain? Because it wasn't really just about climbing a mountain. I think most of you know that. Um, the Lord uh, really ministered some things to me on the mountain. It was about the uh, the second, uh, the day before we summited in the morning. We get out on the trail and we begin to go. And I asked the Lord. I said, Lord, you know what? What is it that you would like to? Uh, what would you like to do today? And He said, Today I'm going to teach you about walking in the authority that I've given to you. And so, and that's just the way it was, is for that day, that hike, he just kept teaching me about authority and the authority that he's given to us. And, and so that was the kind of, of experience. And um, it was so easy <laughs> going up that I didn't want to tell my, climb, my teammates my experience of it because I didn't want to make them think I'm bragging or, or, or you know, whatever. And um, so it was, it, was, it was the Lord. It wasn't me, right? We have to be willing and we have to be willing to walk in it. But, but it wasn't because I'm so strong. I'm very clear on that. All right, any questions? Um, 35 kilometers. Yeah. <laughs> so I was going to refer you next to Rebecca who could probably... You don't understand that? Oh, okay. They don't use miles there. I mean, they do use miles. 1.36. Oh, you know. Okay. So, so 30... Yeah. 
There you go. There we go. Yeah, everything's in kilometers and meters over there, so we're constantly doing um, math. And um, so we would go uh, several miles every day, and um, going up, and, and you go up so slowly, you could, you could literally, um, if your lungs could withstand it, you could do it in 24 hours, up and back. You know, I mean, how long does it take you to walk 21 miles? Um, the thing is, is that in order to acclimate you to the higher elevation, they go really, really slowly. And they, you know, our first night was spent at 10,000 feet. Um, our next three nights, we were going around at 13,000 feet. We would climb higher through the day and then back down and sleep at 13,000 feet. Our final night um, before we summited was 15,000 feet. And, and I slept really well. You know, that was the thing that most people are like, man, they're just not sleeping. I mean, that was the one theme you saw through all the different writers that I was reading. They would talk about, yeah, you pretty much don't sleep on the mountain. Well, our team slept pretty well. And it was interesting because our guides, um, our guides that were with us, they were all believers. And so they found out, you know, on day one that I'm a pastor. And so they were like, oh, would every night they would come and say, would you pray for us tonight? And so I would pray and pray, you know, that we would all sleep well. And we did. We all slept really well. So that was, uh, that was, that was good. And we would go, um, so then the final day we summited, you start from 15,000 feet, you go up to 19, and uh, we started at midnight. And on that day, so you only get a couple hours of sleep. And we summit at daybreak. And then you come back down to your camp, and we're there by 10.30 something like that, um, have a one-hour break, and then you go all the way down to 10,000 feet. So, uh, so you, you hike down the mountain 10,000 feet, which is, is quite a hike. But they're trying to get everyone low quickly to get them into better air. And um, our final night was at 10,000 feet, and then the next day you hike all the way out to the base. All right, any other questions? Thunderstorms. There was amazing weather for us. I mean, they call the mountain, they say it's a very shy mountain that she doesn't like to be seen because she's often covered in clouds. Um, but when we were there, we had the most amazing weather. The day we summited was just gorgeous. It was wind still and it wasn't that cold. I mean, sure, we were bundled up in all kinds of warm gear, but it wasn't 20 below, which it could have been. Right? 20 below and windy. You want to talk about miserable. This wasn't. This was just amazing in every way. And then um, we would see thunderstorms off in the distance like uh, at night. I don't know if you're familiar with what I mean by heat lightning. In Missouri, we'd see it a lot. So you just see it constantly going off in the distance, but never where we were. And it rained on us um, a little. There, it rains every day, right? I mean, part of our, our first and last day is in a rainforest. It starts in the rainforest. And so they said, well, um, they were like, the guides were just blown away by how great our weather was. As soon as we came off the mountain, the people that were summiting several days after us, they were, we didn't even walk through snow, right? Because there's glaciers up there, but there was no snow. The people that summited three days after us were going through 18 inches of snow. So that's the kind of weather we had. Then when we went on safari, we experienced some thunderstorms, and that was fine because we're in a land cruiser and let it rain, you know. We would sing that song, I miss the, or I bless the rains in Africa, you know. 
Any other questions? There was four, uh, four of us, me and my cousin, and his realtor and a realtor friend of his. And so um, we talked lots about real estate. There's three of them involved in it, right? Um, so there was four on our team, and then um, our, the porters and the guides. There was three main guides and then a bunch of porters. Everything from chefs to table waiters to the people that haul the tents and all of this stuff. So in our entire group, there was 19. Um, they, campfires? No fires. Everything was done by their little cooking stoves. And the, only, the only fire we saw, we stopped at a Maasai village. And they took us in and I sat in one of their little huts and they had a fire in there. So, <laughs> Oxygen tanks. They um, Supposedly they had some emergency tanks along, but we didn't need any. We didn't use any. They say that once you start using oxygen, then they have to get you off the mountain. So we had uh, my cousin, he was about to pass out a few times. He thought he was going to faint, and um, he didn't. He was fine. I mean, and this, is, this was such a miracle story for him because, so you know how he took me along, he paid for the trip, covered the expenses, all these things. Well, a month before it's time to go, he ruptures a disc in his back, the low back. And so surgery, they're saying, is going to be, you know, three, four months away. There's no, no way to get him in soon. And we prayed, and the Lord made a way, opened up the door to where he could go in and get surgery a week before we go. And um, he talked to other people that had done, done things like this, and they were like, oh, yeah, it's easy. They just, you know, make this little incision in your back and suck out the pieces and slide in a new disc, and you're good to go. So he's like, fine, that's what we're going to do. Well... <laughs> He goes in the week before for surgery and they test him for COVID and he tests positive for COVID. And he had it, actually. He got sick. And so they wouldn't do the surgery for him. And that COVID turned into bronchitis. He is, the day we're supposed to be leaving, he's coughing up blood. And he thinks he's going to go climb a 19,000 foot mountain. But he knows that with God, all things are possible, right? And so, uh, so he, he's like, nope, he's not going to go. I renamed him. His name is Kendall, but I call him Kendall the Overcomer. He, um, he climbed that mountain. He did amazing. I mean, he went all the way. And um, by the time we come down, we're going on safari. He's like, now he had gotten a cortisone shot, you know, and those, those, he had gotten that like two or three weeks earlier. But um, he was like, he doesn't even realize anything's wrong with his back. He said, I don't think I'm going to need the surgery. So uh, he was going to come home and go in and have them look at it and see what they, see what they say. But it was a real, um, a real just amazing how the Lord helped him in spite of all of that. I mean, who goes to climb a mountain with a ruptured disc in their back? <laughs> and bronchitis. <laughs> He's like, I think I left a lung up on that mountain. <laughs> Uh, all right, one or two more, and we'll. They were really bright. Um, the only thing was, is we summited on the full moon night, which was amazing. It was so bright that we didn't need our headlamps. You could just shut them off, and we, when we started at midnight, that's how we hiked. Um, so, because it's a full moon, the stars aren't as bright. Um, so, but we got to enjoy the. Uh, 
the full moon that way. All right, one more. Let me say it this way. I think that for years to come, I will look back at the last two weeks as a, a landmark in my life. For um, because some of the things the Lord showed me when I was climbing um, had to do with the future, had to do with uh, the calling of God working in and through me, right? Um, but nothing that I'm. I, it's not like I met one person that was like, "Oh, this is this is you know the the thing." And that was one of the things that Dale had actually prophesied was that it's not just one person. It's not just a meeting, right? Um, but that the Lord really opened some things and increased my vision on some things on that climb that I came home with um, expanded. Expanded on the inside. And, and anticipating and seeing some things that um, I wasn't really ready to step in before. So I know that doesn't clearly answer your question, but, but I absolutely, yes, what he said was true. And in time, it will all be made clear. How's that?